Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I've got my great exponential wisdom partner here, Peter Diamandis. And Peter, we both have an intense interest in education in all forms, but especially the notion that in the 21st century, you got to be educating yourself continually to take advantage of new opportunities and to develop new capabilities in relationship to changing circumstances. So can you talk about this? Because you really strike me as a lifetime learner. You've kind of created a company that compels you, <laughs> you know, to be a lifetime learner. So what's the change that we're going through, Peter, where this is no longer a neat thing to do? This is actually a normal thing to do. Yeah, thank you, Dan. And right back at you as a lifetime voracious learner. Just to put some parameters around this, the average male lifespan 100 years ago was roughly 40. And if you were one of the small percentage of the country that got a college degree, you would enter college at 18, you'd be done by 22. And that degree, what you learned had to last you 18 years until you died. Back then, things changed very, very slowly. So a college education actually you know, you'd learn a skill and that would last you for 20 years. But today, we're living in a time of rapid exponential technological growth. Nothing lasts more than a few years. And the rate, in fact, of change is accelerating to the point where new knowledge is going to become relevant every month, every week, every day. And I think in the future, it is really not a matter of what you know. Mm -hmm. It's about your agility to learn just in time things that you can apply right now. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally it does. It's actually interesting, and I'm going to say something that's really contrarian, that the great advantage America has is that it's got such lousy educational systems. <laughs> because by the time you're 22 going through the normal educational system, you've learned absolutely nothing that's valuable for your growth as an individual. Except, you know, you said it in a previous podcast, you actually did learn how to learn, which is a yes. huge lifetime ability. But compared to a lot of other countries in the world, you know, Americans at 22 are very poorly educated. Yeah. And they find that European, like the European Union, the Scandinavian countries, Switzerland, and everything else, by 22, the mastery of particular subjects among European young people is way, way beyond the American standards. But they find that, generally speaking, their ability to learn anything new after they've acquired their basic you know, high school, college degree, is they're very resistant to learning new things. So here's the interesting thing, that European executives who've gone through, you know, really top-notch education, business college, and everything else, find it very, very difficult and adjust to business in the United States. But Americans who just grew up in American society, they have the necessary credentials. When they go to Europe, they find it too slow, that Europe is very, very slow. Yep. I can imagine that, and very structured, right? Is it, yeah, a very structured, structure. very hierarchical and everything like that. So maybe America itself, American society, is actually the educational system. Interesting. You didn't really find that interesting no, because I, well, you just didn't get real excited about that at I, all. Well, listen, I'm clear that the educational system here in 
America and in the world is fundamentally broken. We've talked about this before, right? This idea of the sage on the stage talking to a group of individuals, half of which are bored, half of which are lost, is broken. And we are going to transform education. And what I'm interested is how, obviously, exponential technologies are going to transform education. And I want to maybe give a couple of visions of the future here. And it's learning what you need to know just in time. And earliest versions of that, I think, are like Khan Academy. I don't know if anybody who's used Khan Academy, it's amazing. I have. have, You have, right? I did algebra over a great, great review of algebra. Yeah. And it's like if you need to know something, and there's a great Khan Academy lesson. I know Sal Khan. He's brilliant. He's built something that is amazing with tremendous support from the top Silicon Valley philanthropists. But you can go and just literally upload into short-term memory what CRISPR is or what algebra is or how to solve a multivariable Mm. equation or the history of Napoleon's march into Moscow or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go have a, you know, a dinner salon or so forth, you know, you take 20 minutes and learn it and it's beautifully done. Now, that's with the current technology, but it's literally student meaning either the child student or you as the adult student, driven, passion, learning. The future, though, is one where if you want to learn something, you put on your augmented and virtual reality goggles, you talk to your AI, and you say, listen, I really want to learn about what it was like in the founding days of Abu Dhabi or the Emirates. And taking you back there Mm -hmm. where you go and you walk around And everybody in this augmented or this VR universe looks real, but they're not real. They are digital avatars, each of them driven by an AI. And that AI is trained on all of the past writings and knowledge. And so you have a conversation and you ask probing questions and the person says, let me take you to our our leader of the nation say, you know, yeah. you have kinds of conversations that you'd never have in reading a book, but you walk out of that experience mm-hmm. remembering it as if it were real. You know, our brains are wired for storytelling, yeah. right, around the campfire. Yeah, but would you say that the kind of learning that Peter Diamandis does could be structured by someone else? Uh, well, I think... I mean, in the types of teaching that I do? No, the how you learn that someone could actually create it. Are you talking about that this is a menu and you learn something from here, learn something from here, and then you're gradually putting something together that's very meaningful to you, but the parts that you can get from other people are more available? What I mean is if someone, let's take you, Dan, in the future, I imagine a version of the educational programming where you have an AI, we all are going to have a version of Jarvis that is personalized. And this AI actually knows how you learn best. Mm-hmm. It knows you're a visual learner over an auditory learner, but you're an experiential learner. And it knows by reading your pupillary dilations and so forth when you're lost or when you've got your attention. And it can provide you a lesson in a virtual world to learn something that is the most impactful way of learning that subject, whether it's algebra or history or whatever, by taking you there and in a rich experiential story that you walk away going, wow, that was amazing. I'm never going to forget that. And I learned that. So that's one future version of learning. Mm -hmm. Another future version of learning, which 
you know, I have a couple of coaches in my life. You are by far top of the list. Another one is Tony Robbins. Tony's become a very close friend, and we've been talking about a project that he has ongoing right now, which is he is creating a digital avatar of himself. So there is a company here in LA called Rival Theory, and Rival Theory is able to take all of Tony's digital history, all of his videos, his audio recordings, the digital recordings of all of his UPWs and Days mm -hmm. with Destinies and all of his books and everything, and feed that information into a neural network and train an AI that thinks like him, responds like him, mm -hmm. sounds like him, looks like him. And that is a vision of where he is going. So in the future, and I can imagine given all of the content that you've recorded, Dan, and all the books you've written and all the videos you've created and so forth, that there could be a digital Dan Sullivan in my pocket. So, you know, I'm going into a meeting, going into hire a new person, I'm going into fire someone, I'm going into a negotiation, whatever it is. I pull out my digital Dan and I it's just in time learning. It's mm -hmm. like if I could call you and explain the situation, but this digital version of Dan, of which there are millions, every one of your clients or one of our podcast listeners has a version of you or a version of Tony mm -hmm. or a version of me. Mm -hmm. And I think that becomes fascinating. It's where you can impact instantly people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's already happening in pieces. I had an example last Saturday night. I was listening to Pandora, loved a song, looked the song and the group up on Wikipedia, then went to YouTube, and I spent pretty well about a two-and-a-half-hour period, and it was about Phil Spector and his wall of sound in L.A., and it was a song called Be My Baby, which is considered the borderline between one age of rock and roll and another. And I just sat there for two and a half hours, and I said, how lucky I am to sit here in a world where I have all these resources at my fingers. So my feeling is that perhaps this is already being done, but it hasn't surfaced because most of the people who are reporting on education, mainstream media and everything else, they think of education as university, you know, because they came out of university. But what are the chances that this is already happening, everything that you're saying? The system isn't broken. People have just broken out of the system. But the system today is so, well, I mean, we have to remember where the educational system came from, right? The educational system came from our industrialized world in which we wanted to train employees to do what they were told when the bell rang and make sure that we had a workforce that understood basic reading, writing, and math and such. And it was not a workforce built for inspiration and for creativity, which we give far more value to than doing what you always had to do. Is that right? Yeah, I mean that, but maybe the one thing that we have to give up is the whole notion that education can be a system. And here's what I mean, that there was an industrial system, but the thing that I find is, like Babs and I, as you have certainly done it, I have a Babs and Dan healthcare system. 
Part of it's in Toronto. If I get the flu really badly, Canadian healthcare system is really good with flu. Okay, anything above flu, you go to Chicago or you go to Dallas or you go to San Diego and everything else. We've got a complete system that's held together by Pinnacle out of Baltimore. That's a concierge system. Mm-hmm. So our records are centralized. Pinnacle is in touch with all of our other doctors and everything like that. So my feeling is that the human being is actually the center of the system, and then they just custom design. Sure. So I'm just saying the founders of the United States, who are uniformly considered to be geniuses, didn't go to a school system. Nobody went to a school system. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So I'm saying maybe that was just a brief period of history of 150 years where education was a system. It wasn't beforehand, and afterwards it's going to be custom designed. I agree with you, pal, 100%. And I think that system that was put in place in the late 1800s, early 1900s was alongside the industrialization of America. Totally. And, you know, where we're going, and you hit on the head, is complete personalization And I know a number of wealthy billionaire families who travel with their kids. They have personal educators who put together educational experiences and pull in faculty, and they have a school directly for their kid. But this is all going to be enabled by AI and VR as well, right? Where there's a great book by Neil Stevenson called Diamond Age. It talks about the young lady's illustrated primer. And so this is a... Young Ladies Illustrated Primer is this AI device that this young girl in China picks up and bonds with. And this book just takes her on a lifelong journey. Every minute of the day, it's able to educate her on what's going on as in conversation, asking questions. And mm-hmm. if a snowflake is falling, says, let's talk about the geometry of that snowflake or Does a snowflake or snowball fall at the same rate? Let's talk about gravity and talk about wind resistance. And so the world becomes a lesson, but at scale, AI is effectively free. It's the cost of electricity, and it's hyper-personalized to the individual. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I think we're heading, hyper-personalized, just-in-time, passion-driven education, which allows anybody to learn what they need to learn. What I think is that there is going to be a binary situation where you have the completely personalized education at the one end, Mm -hmm. and then at the other end, you have actually technology for the masses, but it's going to be practical education, and augmented reality is going to be the big thing there, where you can teach an auto mechanic in five days what a community college teaches in a year. Yep. So this is absolutely right. And in fact, augmented reality will enable you to do many things you weren't educated to do because it gives you just-in-time education. And walks you through it. Yeah, what to look for. And in in fact, it can be your eyes and you are the hands of the robot in that regard. There's some other stuff that's interesting, right? Our educational system is built around a negative set of incentives. So this has always bothered me that when you start your freshman year of calculus at college, everybody starts at the same level. And every time you get something wrong, your grade drops. And when you get a B, your grade drops. It's different in the gaming world where every time you do something correct, your score goes up. Yeah. Right? It's a flip of that. So 
I watch my seven and a half year old boys in Minecraft and Roblox and the games they play and Pokemon, and they are learning so much <laughs> that is completely non-related to the real world, right? But they're learning the skills and the evolution and the powers and the capabilities and the weights and the strengths of every Pokemon out there. It's like, it drives me nuts because I would rather them be learning about the elements in the periodic table, which are all superheroes themselves. So one of the ventures I think I'm going to want to create is sort of the gamification of the personalization, gamification of elements and human body parts and so forth. Anyway, it's crazy. Peter, would you, for the benefit of our listeners, actually define what the real world is? Yes, the real world is the things that we experience. I'm all ears, by the way. I'm all ears yeah. here. Okay, you call my bullshit. That's fine. Yes, okay. Yeah. The world that your two sons are going to create bears no resemblance to the world they're living in right now. You know what I mean? Oh, man, this is why you are my coach and my teacher. Thank you, pal. I mean, you live in the strangest world I've ever encountered, Peter. Yes, compared to my parents or my grandparents, my world is insane. And my kids are living in their world. Well, compared to my world, you live in a yes. strange world. <laughs> uh, uh, but here's the thing. There's a serious point to what I'm talking about. There's a far more creativity that's involved in learning things today. And I go back to 1950, Sister Mary Josephia, St. Paul's grade school, Norwalk, Ohio. <laughs> and she said some point in the first grade, the reason why you're learning this now is that when you leave high school, and people didn't go to college in those days, so you were going into the job market, everything I'm teaching you is going to be valuable 12 years from now. And you know something? Reading, writing, arithmetic, everything she taught me was absolutely valuable. There's no first grade teacher that can make that prediction today. Yep. I get that. I remember my typing teacher who said, I'm going to teach you a skill that's going to be useful the rest of your life. It's been true to a large degree, though the ability to dictate moves faster than my fingers can on my keyboard. I had an interesting idea. I want to pitch this to you, Dan. This is on re-educating workforce as we obsolete jobs like truck drivers and Uber drivers and cashiers. And we're going to be obsoleting a lot of jobs. And so the ability to educate at all ages is critically important. So I thought about the following. There are probably a large number of fields that need qualified employees. I am right? Like taking care of aging people at old age homes or taking care of young newborns or families helping a family during the earliest days of being a nanny or whatever the case might be. My friends in the hotel business say they really need great people who can support them at the hotel. So here's the idea. You just lost your job and you're trying to figure out what you want to do and where the opportunities are. And imagine going to a website, and this website has 30 games you can play. When you go and you play these games, the game is actually teaching you a skill in a particular field. And as you play the game and you learning the skill, you either say, eh, I don't want to play this game anymore. I don't like it. Good. Find out early. And then you go play another game and you like the game and you're doing well at the game and you're learning the game and you're climbing up the leaderboard. And then at the top of the leaderboard, it goes, dear Professor Sullivan, you're doing so well on this. We'd like to offer you a job in this field. It's like the last starfighter. It is exactly like the last starfighter, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, so it's, it's a notion that imagine if unemployed individuals played games all day long and found out what they're good at. And while they're playing the game, they're learning. And then 
I, as the employer, say, I need 10,000 qualified individuals in this field. I'm going to fund a game on that yeah. to be developed, right? So maybe someone listening to this podcast can go and build that business. There's a story that Gorbachev, you know, who was the last guy standing when the Soviet Union collapsed, they came to New York in 1988 with a delegation, and they were walking around New York, and they found these big games. Arcades. The arcades, the, arcades. the games. Yeah. And they went in, and they said, what is this? And uh, they said, oh, these are just kids. And they said, is this the only one in the United States? Oh, no, no, there's hundreds of them. And he said they went back to the embassy that night, and they were talking around, and they said, this is how they train their jet fighters. They train their jet fighters. We have nothing to train our jet fighters. They said, we're lost. We can't possibly keep up. They interpreted everything as a capitalist plot, so immediately yes, of they course. did that. But there's a truth to it. I mean, the guys who are doing drones now from Nellis Air Force Base and outside Las Vegas, I mean, a lot of those started off as games. And look at gaming. Look at gaming. Was it 2.5 billion people have games sometime during the last 12 months, you know? It's insane. And I learned something also, and I'm fond of saying, listen, if you need surgery, there's an important question to ask your surgeon. You know the answer, right? It's just, how many times have you done this exact surgery today or this week or this month, right? Yep. The surgeon who's done it the most, has had the most experience with odd circumstances and so forth is typically the best. But it turns out that surgeons who are gamers actually perform much better. No, I believe that. I totally mm. believe that. Yeah. See, my feeling is, if you look at technology, you know, I think the iPhone and what the iPhone did, I think, caught the world by surprise. Would you say that? No question at all. It became a platform play upon which amazing things were built. No, I mean, there was no preparation for people anticipating the results of people all of a sudden three or four billion people on the planet having iPhones. Having smartphones. Having smartphones. Yeah. The majority have Android phones now because the cost is low, but iPhone kicked it off for sure. Yeah. But the whole point is, could it be that an educational system is actually being created and suddenly it's just going to catch the world? Not a system, but a capability, let's say an educational, a global educational capability is already being created but it's just going to catch the world by surprise. And people are going to say 10 years from now, why didn't we see that coming? You know, we didn't see that coming. Possibly. We have to do two things. One, we have to differentiate different types of education. So there is learning to learn a skill or learn a particular history or equation. And then there is socialization parts of learning. Yeah. Right? So I think the first part, this non-system system could handle the second part of how do you become a good human being, how you empathic, how you polite, how you, you know, make your points, how do you orate, all those things are require the human-to-human -human, more structured, which should be in the family unit, but the family unit, of course, is under attack yeah. in a multitude of different ways. Let me mention just for those listening, there are two X Prizes I'm proud of. We just awarded something called the Adult Literacy X Prize, which was the Barbara Bush Foundation and Dollar General funded it. You know, it turns out there's a large number of illiterate adults in the United States yep. who are at or below like the second grade reading level. And a lot of the difficulties are when people are illiterate, they're embarrassed by that yes. and don't want to seek out help. And so this was a competition to create smartphone and tablet-based educational yep. products that adults could learn on and so we just awarded that. And the big experiment going on right now, which is a $15 million prize funded by Elon Musk, Tony Robbins, the DeVos family, Scott Hassan, 
we're getting the results right this minute and we're awarding the $15 million purse. And this is, we ran a global experiment, asked teams to build a piece of Android software that could take a child in the middle of no place from illiteracy to basic reading, writing, and numeracy in 15 months. 700 teams entered. We narrowed it down eventually to five pieces of software. Google gave us 5,000 Android tablets. We went into Tanzania and found 141 villages that had zero literacy. In Swahili, English, no languages. We've been testing there and measuring now the post-experiment literacy in the children and in the families in the villages. So super excited about that. We're going to open source the winning software with the notion that every Android device could become a teacher, right? We are building 1.3 billion Android devices per year. Yeah. So. And then it'll be hacked, and then people who have Macs can also do it. Yeah, and then we'll just you know, <laughs> wire the brain I think that we've crossed some sort of threshold where human improvement can't be controlled from above. Interesting point. So what's the implication of that? Well, part of it is political. If you go back 100 years, you could only improve if the society around you gave you permission to improve. And I'll talk about where it still exists. For example, in Germany today, you can't start a new business unless the government recognizes that as a legitimate business. Wow. So much for creativity. You cannot name your child a name in Germany unless it's an officially recognized name. You're kidding me. You cannot homeschool your children. Wow. So, I mean, this Germany, this is a very, very advanced thing. Technologically literate. Yeah, technologically literate, completely literate. I mean, for the most part, literate in every way. But there are places that control how people can improve, you know. So, consequently, the German entrepreneurs go to England or they go to Silicon Valley or they go someplace else. Families take their kids someplace where they can homeschool them. They go someplace, and their kid has a name in Germany, but then they, with another name someplace else. I'm just saying you got in the way of human improvement. And my feeling is that countries or societies that try to control or stop or limit human improvement get left behind. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's interesting, right, because there's nothing that will cause one to self-improve as when they are unshackled. Yeah. And they're driven by their own passion, their own vision, and not to do it for someone else or because of someone else, but because it's your dream, it's your heart. I mean, for me, it's the nine-year-old Peter, you know, driven by Star Trek that is responsible for everything I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think I have more questions at the end of this one than I have any answers that I've given. Yeah. Well, let's close this one out. My closing thesis here is, listen, education is going to be reinvented. It's going to be hyper-personalized. Just in time, we're going to learn N of one. It's not the sage on the stage. It's me learning, enabled by my AI, enabled by VR, AR, enabled by machine learning versions of Dan or Tony that give me the information I need in the moment I need it. And that makes a very agile world, a very self-driven world, a very creative world. And all of this means that things are just going to move faster and faster. Yep. Yep. Great. Great. Love it. All right, pal. Take care. See you next time. Okay, great.